of life. This I pray and I hear from the Lord about what I preach. And Lord, I pray tonight as I administer this word, I pray that you'll anoint me fresh and speak through me your words of life. Lord, that this will go out as, as Jesus talked about the parable of the seed and the sower, as living seeds of truth that are sown in the good, fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives. Lord, by your precious Holy Spirit, even now you're preparing hearts and minds. Lord, that there be such a strong presence, such a glory, such an anointing of the Spirit of God moving, that every person that's going to be hearing this, even if you're driving down the road, however you're going to be hearing this, Lord, that there'll be an anointing for us to give you our best ear, our full attention, our focus, that you would anoint our eyes and ears and give us eyes and ears of the Spirit. As Jesus said that, you know, as a rebuke, that some people had eyes but they couldn't see, ears but they couldn't hear. Lord, I pray, touch our eyes and ears that we'll be able to perceive what you're showing us. Help us by your Holy Spirit to get locked in to give you our best ear and full attention. We're not going to be distracted by anything. That our minds will be touched by the Holy Spirit that we can understand what you're trying to show us. Lord, grant us understanding. The Apostle Paul prayed that the eyes of our hearts be enlightened, that we'll know the hope to which God's called us, our glorious inheritance in the saints. But Lord, let your light of truth shine in our eyes. Help us to see. But Lord, I pray as I speak this word of the Lord, that it will go out, and the winds of your spirit will carry this where it's supposed to go, as there's people in other nations and other places in this nation that listen to these sermons, that your holy angels will watch over the word. That we take authority as a church and we bind the enemy that would try to steal the seed. As Jesus said, birds of the air try to swoop down and steal. That will not happen. We bind you in the name of Jesus and break your power. We declare this will go out and accomplish that which the Lord has sent it forth to do. And Lord, that your precious Holy Spirit will make sure that that happens. And Lord, I pray tonight that there will be a washing of the water of the word through this. That there will be a light shining that will dispel all the darkness and lies and deception of the enemy and bring truth that your word will be a hammer that breaks down every stronghold and every deception. It will be a sword, the sword of the Spirit, that cuts away what needs to go and penetrates, even in the the deepest places, separating joints and marrow, a deep deep work of the word of God. And Lord, as this goes out, it will be planted in good soil. Your Holy Spirit will water that, and these seeds will take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains. We thank you, Lord. We believe tonight. We expect it. As you speak through me, let everything be accomplished through this time of the word that you will to be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys for agreeing with me. I love to pray over the word because, you know, the word of God is so powerful. And there, there can be a, a thief out there trying to steal that from people. And I want people to get everything out of the word. Amen. All right. So we're going to talk about rending veils. I'm still in the covenant series. This sermon tonight is going to be a little bit deeper in not everything that's in my notes are in your notes that are here, but those that are online, it will be. And so you may want to jot down some things because I really believe this will speak to you. You've probably never heard a sermon like this. It's not the typical thing that's preached in a lot of churches, but it's extremely important. And as we're on this fast, last week I dealt with a deep consecration of the bride. I, I did like a Purim sermon talking about Esther and talking about how she was washed in water and anointed, and she was made ready for a time with the king, and God is preparing us to be a bride for his coming. But also, as I dealt with that last week of deep consecration, I encouraged everybody as a, as a church want to fast, to really pray during this fast, to really seek God. You may put this in your notes. Take these notes home and really pray over them. Pray over God, show me. If there's areas in my life that's been a hindrance, I want to go deeper in you than I've ever been. 
I want to, to go deeper in prayer than I've ever been. I want to know you in a way I've never known you before. Really pray big and press into God during this time. And let God show you maybe if there's hidden sins, things you didn't know were there. Maybe if there's unforgiveness you did not realize was there. But as we fast, what happens is God begins to help us see things we haven't seen. And so with that said, that was along last week, but now dovetailing into this. I'm going to believe God as we pray and we fast as a church that God is going to remove veils. And once I get to the end of this sermon, that's going to make a lot more sense. But God is wanting to remove every veil that is trying to hinder us and hold us back from him. So as I go, I think that this sermon will build on itself, and by the end of it, it'll make a lot of sense. So you, again, you may want to jot some things down. But let me read this, Matthew 27, verse 51. Whenever Jesus died on the cross, we all know this is a really well-known passage in the Bible we talk about. When Jesus died, the Bible says the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split, I mean, how awesome was this sight? And so the people that were there, I mean, the, one of the Roman soldiers said, man, surely this is the Son of God. I mean, this is I mean, it's such an awesome sign and wonder. But whenever Jesus died, the veil was ripped. Now, what, you, what I want everybody to understand is when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for so much for us. He paid that all of our sin is born in his body. By the stripes on his back, he paid for our healing. The fact that he hung on the cross, he hung on a tree, he redeemed us from the curse of law. He paid for all of our deliverance. His blood was shed. But another thing that he paid for was not only, uh, I'm talking about you know poverty broken. I dealt with all this in the past. But he also paid that every veil that separates us from God would be ripped. Because when Adam and Eve were in the garden, God came down and walked with them daily. And God's heart was he wanted to create a family and spend time with them. He wanted that fellowship. But man sinned, and because of sin, our sin has separated us from God. And the reason Jesus came was to remove that. But even under the law of Moses, even in that time, the Bible says that God spoke to Moses, have them build me a sanctuary so that I can dwell among them. God's heart. You know, even before Calvary, he wanted to dwell among his people. And so God's heart is for fellowship and to be with us. But how many knows that sometimes without people really realizing it, the Bible shows us that there's these veils that try to separate us. But just like everything else Jesus paid for on the cross, he paid that every veil can be removed. It was paid for. So I want you to believe with me tonight that this is going to happen. Now, I'm going to deal primarily with negative veils, things that are holding people back. But I do want to say this. God wants to remove every negative veil out of the way, but he also wants to wrap us in his covering. I want you to picture... Someone having on a tallit, and they take that, and they wrap, wrap that around others. That's what God wants. He wants us to be wrapped up in his presence and his protection. He wants us to dwell with him and to be under a covering. And you can see that because if you read the context in Numbers 24, verse 5, Balaam was like a false prophet. And he was hired by the king of Moab. His name was Balak. But Balaam was up there on this, on this mountain and was looking down with Balak down on the children of Israel. And he was paid good money to curse Israel. But instead of cursing Israel, we know the story, he blessed them. But this has always stuck with me. Every time to this day that, that Jewish people come to church, 
they'll speak this blessing. It's longer than this, but this is the first part of it in Hebrew. Matovu Oheleka Yaakov, Mishkinoteke Israel. The Oheleka, the Ohel, was the tense, the individual tense. But many of you have heard me preach on the Mishkin before. The Mishkinoteka, the Mishkin that this referring to was the tabernacle. Picture this. Balaam's up there as a sorcerer, someone that's supposed to be putting a curse on Israel, and he basically says this, I wish I could do this, but I can't. I cannot curse what God has already blessed. How beautiful are your tents. In English, the Matovu Oleka, how goodly, how beautiful are your tents, Jacob. He's talking about individual tents. And your dwelling place, the Mishkin, Israel, the tabernacle. He saw that there was something over them that was a covering of God's blessing, His protection, His presence that covered over them and protected them from witchcraft and sorcery. And he knew, I can't curse them. They're covered. They're blessed. And he had to say out of his mouth, and it ticked off the king, he said, how beautiful are your tents, Jacob, your dwelling places, Israel. And so God is wanting all these negative veils to be removed, but he's also wanting to cover us and wrap us in his glory, in his blessing, in his favor, to where there's something, though the natural eye can't see it, there's something that wraps around us and covers us that is, is there and protects us from evil and causes us to be in health and in prosperity and in victory. And it's the blessing and the covering of the Lord, okay? So there is a positive veil if you will a positive covering where the lord just wants to wrap us up in his tallit his prayer shawl and cover us in him okay so now let me come out of that and talk about negative veils this is extremely interesting all right in exodus 34 verse 17 we know the bible says not to make idols this is where you may want to jot something down but you remember the story when moses came down from sinai moses's face was shining and so Moses put a veil over his face. Remember that? And the people of Israel at that time were scared of Moses because his face was shining. So he'd have to keep that veil. And this is really going to make sense at the end of the sermon when I read the scriptures in the New Testament about this, okay? But the word for the veil that was over Moses in Hebrew is Masekah. And it's, I'll spell it for you, M-A-S-E-K-A-H, Masekah. And that is translated like a mask or a veil. Now, what's extremely interesting is that same word, it's the Strong's 4541. This same word has dual meaning in Hebrew. It also has to do with back in those times, and I'm sure still today, but just bear with me here. They would have these, um, where they would fashion an idol. What they would do is they would have something that had a form. And they would take liquid silver or gold or whatever, and they would pour that down into this vessel that already had the form of a demon god. And they would let it sit, and as it cooled, it would, it would form into the, the shape and the image they wanted to. And then they would break that off of it, and you'd have that little demon god idol that people would worship. The process of fashioning and forming that idol to pour in also is the word masikah. And so it's extremely interesting because God is trying to say that the making of idols is the greatest veil that will separate us from God. 
And the word masakah comes from a root word, nasak or masak, either one. And many Hebrew words go back to a three-letter uh, three word. And this root has to do with covering or has to do with pouring. So it's, it's really interesting. But I want you to see something because this is going to make sense as I go. Masakah, or its root word, is used in some of these scriptures. In Isaiah 25, verse 7, it says, On this mountain he will swallow up the covering, Masakah, the covering, which is over the peoples, even the veil which is stretched over the nations. Did you guys know that in Isaiah 25, verse 7, it's trying to show us that there are veils, hello? There's veils over nations because nations, secular nations, worship demon gods. And even those in societies that don't worship demon gods per se, like in Europe, they still have gods of their own self and humanism. But nonetheless, it's a self-god. It's where man is God. But the gods of the nations have caused there to be a veil over. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. Also, Exodus 36, verse 37 it says he made a screen in the doorway of the tabernacle. And it was that root word, masak. It's a screen that blocked people from being able to come into the tabernacle. It's interesting if you studied the tabernacle. I keep a poster of it up over here to my left. But those that are watching this, you could Google the tabernacle of Moses and look at it. It was about half the size of a football field, but it was a rectangle. And all around the tabernacle was a big white fence so nobody could get in. But on the east side, there was one gate, and that one gate allowed people in, and that was that veil. So people had to pierce through that veil to come in, and they could bring their offerings unto the Lord. And the interesting thing about that veil is everything else was white, but that veil was made with blue, purple, scarlet, and white interwoven because it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way of life. No man can come to the Father except through me. It's only through him. You're not going to get in through Buddha. You're not going to get in through any other demon gods. You're not going to get in through your own works. It's only through him. It's only through the gospel. And so God said, there's no other way. That's why Jesus said a thief and a robber will try to go in another way. Remember that? And so Jesus, it, the reason why there's the, that four colors is because the gospel of Matthew is purple. The royalty. The Gospel of John is blue, the Son of God coming from heaven. The Gospel of Mark reveals Jesus as the suffering Savior, red. And the Gospel of Luke reveals the white, the righteous Son of Man. And so you see the Gospel there is the doorway to God, the doorway in. But what do you see there? A veil. Masach. All right, Isaiah 22, 7 through 8. It came to pass that your choicest valleys were full of chariots and horsemen um, took their station and set themselves in offense, offensive array at the gate of Jerusalem. This was fulfilled in St. Chronicles 32 and Isaiah 36. And then it says this, though. This was a negative prophecy about Israel. In 22, verse 8, it says, Then God removed the protective covering from Judah, and you looked to the weapons in the house of the forest, the king's armory in that day, but the protective covering, again, Masekah. So what I'm saying is there's also a good veil, so to speak, a good covering of God's protection and blessing, that Matovu blessing I just spoke, that wraps us and protects us from evil. But there's also negative veils that try to keep us from God. So is this making sense tonight? We want every negative veil to be removed, but we want to be wrapped up in the Lord. The Bible talks about being hid with God in Christ. And I don't know about you, but I want the Lord in the spirit realm to envelop my life with his tallit, his prayer shawl, and I want to be hid with him, and that's just how I want to live my life. 
So I'm going to deal with nine veils. I'm not saying this is exhaustive, but nine is the number of judgment. And I believe that God is wanting to remove these veils from you in River of Life. If you'll really pray during this fast, as I preach this tonight, write down some things that come to your mind. Does this pertain to me? Could this be in my life? If you'll humble yourself in prayer and fasting and really pray about these veils, God will help pierce through these veils and remove them out of your life, okay? So here's the nine negative veils. Number one is a veil of a brass heaven. In Deuteronomy 28, verse 23, the heaven, the Bible says, if you disobey the Bible, is Deuteronomy 28, 23, if you disobey the Bible, you live in unrepentant sin, the Bible says the heaven which is over your head will be bronze or brass and the earth beneath you iron. This has to do with sin causing there to be a brass heaven overhead where it's extremely difficult to get through in prayer. See, regions have many times a brass heaven. And it's because of the sin and the disobedience that's in that region. In this region here in Dallas, how much idolatry is here? How much sexual immorality? How much blood has been shed into the soil of this land that was through violent crimes or abortion or whatever? How much has there been perverted justice where the legal system catered to people with money and, you know, it was innocent people were um, oppressed or, or people that were guilty were let go? What about the oppressing of people? How many in this region have been really oppressive in an ungodly way? Toward See, these things are sin in the eyes of God, broken covenants, things like that, bloodshed. And these things form a brass heaven overhead. You see, when River of Life, when we begin to pray and we begin to seek God like never before a few years back and we really begin to press in with intercession, man, it felt just like you're just having to push through such a brass heaven but over i want y'all to hear me over the months over the years that we've been praying gradually over time i have felt where it literally felt like when we came in and prayed it was like you were trying to walk through mud or something i mean it was just you were just plowing in prayer you some of you guys remember these these were not fun nights but as we pressed through it felt like another layer removed over the ceiling. The heavens were more open and his presence came in more freely than before. What God is doing is he's removing these veils, so to speak. He's clearing out the heavens. See, Jesus said about himself to Nathaniel, you believe because you saw me under a tree, but I tell you that you'll see what? The heavens open, angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jacob, when he traveled and he came to Bethel, and his grandfather Abraham had built an altar there, and when he laid his head on a stone and he went to sleep there in Bethel, there was a, a ladder, and he saw an open heaven. He saw angels ascending and descending. He says, surely this is the house of God. So he named that place Bethel. There can be an open heaven and the glory of God come, but it's going to be through vicarious repentance where we get under the burden of the sin of this region and this nation, and we begin to confess the sin before God. And as we say, Lord, forgive us in Dallas, forgive us in America for the sins of the bloodshed, the idolatry, all the, all the filth that's been here, violent crimes, all the witchcraft, all the sexual immorality, everything that's been here, forgive us, Lord. And as we repent on behalf of the nation, 
and on behalf of this region, and we really pray. And it's, it's what James said, and I love the amplified version of this. It says, the heartfelt, continued prayer, the earnest prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic, and it's working. But it's not just some casual little flippant thing. It's that earnest, heartfelt, persistent prayer where people are agreeing together and crying out to God, and God will rend the heavens and come down. But it's going to be through prayer that this takes place. It's not just going to happen. Somebody somewhere is going to pray. And God will respond. That's the first veil I want to talk about that we've got to clear out. And I believe River of Life is doing this. But it's not, this is the type of thing that it's very difficult for just one person to really deal completely with this. This is, when I'm talking about a geographic region, this is a group of people coming together and really praying and really fasting and really consecrating their lives and really going after God with all their heart. If they'll come together, God will rend the heavens. You got to look up that scripture. Lord, rend the heavens and come down. And he will. The next veil I want to deal with is in the church world in 1 Corinthians 2.12. What we have received, Paul said, is not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. Now I want you to notice Paul said there's a spirit of this world. I'm telling you that there are a lot of churches nowadays that have allowed the spirit of this world to creep in. In a lot of places, I hate to say it, but it's more of an entertainment than it used to be. There's a lot more carnality and sin that's tolerated than there used to be. There's just a lot more of rebellion against God's ways, against heaven's culture, and against God's laws than there used to be. And what's happening is the spirit of this world has come in to the church. And when the spirit of the world comes in, it is going to form a veil between you and God as a church that is going to be oppressive. And people have kind of a false fire, if you will. They have the excitement of the smoke and the lights and the awesome music that's being played, and it's really talented. They have, they have their latte, and it's, you know, they come in here, and they, they get to hang out with other people, and it's a, it's, a, it's a false fire because it's all just soulish. It's entertainment. It's a social club. It's exciting. It's like going to a ball game. It's exciting. But where is the Spirit of God coming in and convicting of sin? Where's people literally getting on their face and weeping before the Lord and confessing and repenting of their sin? Where's that? Where's God coming down in power and changing people's lives from the inside out that they're different than they used to be? See, when you're dealing with the spirit of the world, it's a counterfeit. It's an entertainment thing, but it's not really God. It's a veil that is separating people from God. And so I know in River of Life, this, is, you know, this has not been an issue. Thank God. But in many places it is. So people need to repent. And they need to get on their face and let that veil of worldliness be purged out of the church. The next veil, and this is important, is the veil of flesh. Jesus said when the seed is sown into good soil, it will produce 30, 60, or 100 fold. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be just a 30 fold Christian. But the most people, unfortunately, probably are. I don't want to be just a 60 fold. That's where some people get. But I want to be a 100 fold Christian. But see, here's the thing Paul understood Galatians 2.20 when he said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. 
The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by, the, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And we also read where Paul said, I die daily. So you know what the problem is? This is so extremely basic. This is milk. But a lot of people don't understand it and don't live it and don't even know about it. But even in a lot of places today, it's not preached because it's not a feel-good scripture. But you know what this has to do with? Dying to our flesh. Dying to ourself. And a lot of people have a veil of their own flesh that they've never learned to get beyond that. They will pray when they feel like it. And they won't pray if they don't. Y'all hearing me? They'll go to church if they feel like it. But they they won't go if they don't. They'll just give when they feel like it. They'll witness when they feel like it. They'll do things whenever they're flesh, when they feel like it. But anything sacrificial, when they don't feel like it, they're not going to do it. They are totally, completely wrapped up in the veil of their own flesh. And they're carnal Christians. And a lot of these type carnal Christians will never amount to anything but 30-fold. And maybe, maybe on a good day, they might get 60-fold. And it's because they don't have the discipline to live a life of prayer. Down through history, we have seen where there have been people that broke the mold and said, other people may not do it, but I'm going after God with all my heart. I'm going to pursue him in prayer. I'm going to devour his word. I'm going to go after him. And they were used in a mighty way. But all that that was was they were tapping into a normal Christian life. They were tapping into a hundredfold. While other people were too lazy to pray. Too lazy to get into the word. They are. They just, it's their flesh. They don't feel like it, so they're not going to do it. And God says, I would love to take you from being 30-fold. I would love to see you do great things. But see, we've got to have a discipline. And this is where we've got to bring our flesh under subjection. Where we get up in the morning and say, flesh, you're not going to dictate my life. I'm going to die to the flesh today. I'm going to get in the spirit and I'm going to die to this flesh and let God, Christ live through me and God do through me what he wants to do. And he, that means you're going to have to do things that your flesh doesn't feel like doing. But this is a huge problem in our nation. Huge. This flesh, this is a veil that keeps people from God. You know why? Because when you pursue God, the first thing you've got to do in prayer is that you've got to press into him and die to that flesh. That's number one. That's like a veil. And then your soul, your mind, and your emotions have got to, as you worship and pray, they seem to calm down and you get tapped into the Lord. And the next thing you know, if you keep going after him, it's now your spirit to God's spirit. Deep calling unto deep. Most people never get to that place. They never even get past the flesh. If they do, their mind's so distracted, their emotions so distracted, they never even get beyond their own human soul, and it's just soulish prayers. But I don't know about you, but I want to be able to get in the Spirit. That's why the Apostle John, when he had great revelation on the Isle of Patmos, John said that he heard behind him a voice like a trumpet on the Lord's day. He was in the Spirit. He was in prayer and he was in the spirit and God revealed to him the book of Revelation. But he got that deep, profound revelation. Why? Because John, no doubt, was a man of prayer who knew how to bring his flesh under and how to get in the spirit. The next veil is the blinding of the mind. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, 
in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. There's a veil that blinds people's minds. Now, first off, I want to, this has got two revelations, but the first one is this. We know that if you go out there and you talk to a bunch of heathen, and some of you guys do this on Saturday nights like we do, I, I've, I've really tried to encourage people, please go with groups until you learn to get comfortable with it, and, but always go at least in two. All right. Anyway, we go out witnessing after church many times. Many of us do. Thank you guys for doing that. But you know that there is something that is blinding the minds of these unbelievers. You know it. You see it. There's a veil, just like the Bible says. The God of this age has blinded the minds. There's some kind of a veil over their mind trying to blind them from the light of truth. And that's why spiritual warfare is so important in soul winning because as we take authority and bind up the enemy and break his power off people's minds, they can't do it for themselves. They're lost. They need Christians that will pray and really pray in a harvest. And break the power of the devil off their minds so that they can get revelation. All right, but here's the second revelation about this, the blinding of the mind. Most Christian people, I believe, let me say it this way, I believe everybody in the body of Christ, if they will develop the relationship with Jesus that God wants us all to have, where we will be a people of prayer, we will spend time with him. We'll get baptized in the Holy Ghost and, and we'll start using our prayer language and, and we'll begin to really spend time with Him. You know what's going to happen? God's going to begin to help us to move into a realm of revelation from Him. And see, most Christians live in a realm of just human reasoning. They only understand things with their mind in a human, carnal, worldly same way the world does, it's human reasoning. They've never got beyond that veil and gotten to where there's revelation. The Word of God is alive. The Word of God is light. See, anybody can pick up a Bible and just read and they can get something out of it. And it's just, it's so, it's even human reasoning you get. But there's a different level when you start getting revelation knowledge. All of a sudden you see things you never understood before. God shows you mysteries. This is why the Apostle Paul would get revelation. Do you remember you read the story about Moses wandering out in the wilderness with the children of Israel and they got upset with him? Why didn't you let us die in Egypt? You know, at least we have water back there. And Moses goes over to the rock. He strikes the rock. We know the story. Water comes out. Anybody can read that and say, okay, there was a rock. Supernaturally, God made water come out of a rock. Enough of it to water a nation, to give everybody water to drink, all their animals. This is a miracle. Anybody can get that. But the Apostle Paul says, I share with you a mystery. That rock was Christ. He understood revelation knowledge. Getting beyond just what anybody can get. And you're getting revelation. It's a veil that's got to be penetrated. I remember when I was younger in the Lord. And I was, I was spending a lot of time in prayer. God had drawn me into a life of prayer. In January of 97, I began to pray a lot. And as I did, I would pray a lot in the Spirit, pray a lot in tongues. And I'll never forget that it was like literally like some kind of veil just ripped and God began to show me things I'd never seen before. And that's what God wants. He wants that veil of our own human reasoning to be ripped apart, so to speak, so that He can give us true revelation from Him. All right. And this is also in the realm where spiritual discernment comes. The devil gets away with a lot of things in the church world among Christians because they don't discern his tactics. 
Unfortunately, it's not that hard for the demonic realm in a lot of places to sit on somebody's shoulder and put negative thoughts in their mind against a pastor or against a brother and sister in Christ, and they just think these are my thoughts. And start putting negative feelings in their emotions. They think, well, these are just my feelings, and pretty soon they don't like the other person. It's time that we get beyond these veils and we start getting discernment and see when the enemy's doing that and bind him and rebuke him. All right. The next veil I want to deal with is the veil of a religious spirit. It said about the Apostle Paul in Acts 9, 18. You remember he was riding his donkey going down the road. Jesus appears to him a bright light. He was thrown on the ground. So, there, you know, people that don't understand the power of God wonder well, why do people fall because they can't stand. It's not complicated. And here it is in the Bible where the Apostle Paul could not stand. Poof, there he goes on the ground. You know, if what happened to Paul happened today, they would think that it really was a cult and of the devil because Paul was blinded. He left that meeting a blind man. Amen? All right. So Paul gets up. He's blinded. He goes to Ananias' house. Ananias prays for him. Veils, or uh, scales rather, come off his eyes. See, the apostle Paul was somebody that was so religious. He was zealous for God but he was zealous in a religious way. He was a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the ones that were very zealous, if you will, for the law, but yet they hated Jesus enough to kill him. Religion is zealous, but it's zealous in a wrong direction. And a religious spirit will blind people. It really is a veil. And Paul had scales on his eyes, and God was trying to show him that your religion has blinded you from the truth. It blinded you from seeing that Jesus was the Messiah. It blinded you from what I wanted to reveal to you. But thank God for his grace and mercy that he still appeared to Paul like that. But people that have a religious spirit, they're not able to receive many times the deep things of the Spirit of God because they sit back in their religion and they're offended at the manifestations of the Holy Spirit where maybe somebody speaks in tongues or somebody is crying or somebody's laughing and they get offended at that. They don't like it. Or maybe somebody shakes or they fall on the ground. They don't like that. They don't like the gifts of the Spirit. They don't like emotion. They don't like freedom. They'll see somebody over there dancing, really going after God in their, their praise like David danced for the Lord. And they get offended by that. They can't stand it. It's a religious spirit. And that religious spirit has caused like a veil in their life and they can't receive the things of the Spirit of God until they ask God's forgiveness, until they humble themselves and let Him remove that veil because there's something there blinding them. And the religious spirit also operates through pet doctrines. Most every single denomination or movement, and I'm not criticizing anybody, I'm just saying all of them across the board, everybody, most of them have pet doctrines. And those people are zealous for those pet doctrines. Some of them will really attack you if you go against their pet doctrines. Some of them are willing to die for their pet doctrines. And the sad thing is their pet doctrines are just flat wrong. They're religious and they're zealous, but they're zealous in the wrong direction. It's just pet doctrines of men. It's traditions of men. And until people humble themselves and say, Lord, forgive me for my pride, Forgive me for the arrogance of thinking that I already know everything and I've already got everything figured out and somebody's different than me, so they must be wrong. Forgive me for that arrogance. Forgive me for judging what the Holy Spirit is doing in people's lives. Who are we to judge? He said, forgive me, Lord, for having such a wrong attitude toward the Holy Spirit until they humble themselves like that 
and ask God's forgiveness, that veil will remain. But once they really humble themselves and confess their sin, God will begin to remove that veil away and God will begin to touch them in a similar way. And then they'll realize, man, this is the Holy Spirit. This is really God. God is really touching me. And God's been really touching these people. I just couldn't see it before. The next veil I want to deal with is a veil in a cult veiling. This is very real. I'm not speaking here figuratively. I'm speaking here literally. You just cannot see it with your natural eye. It's something that God would have to show you in a vision. But I'm telling you that there is an occult veiling. The word occult means hidden. Let me show you something. Revelation 17.5, it says about the whore of Babylon, the name written on her forehead was mystery. Why is it mystery? Because it's hidden. Mystery Babylon. It says, Babylon the great, the mother of prostitutes, or the mother of harlots, and of the abominations of the earth. This is something that is hidden. I'm not exactly sure how the enemy does this, but I'm just telling you to be aware of this. I want to preach on it because I want you to at least know about it. But the demonic realm, when they start attacking, one of the things they will do is they try... In the Bible, you can see where there's a hunting for souls. I can't get too deep with it. It's okay that I don't go rabbit trailing for 10 minutes. But let me just say that there's something where the enemy tries to, to release something in the spirit realm to kind of confuse or to blind people to what he's doing. The enemy wants to set up some kind of a veil that they can hide behind and they're not detected. And somebody that's a prophetic individual will come in and God will give them prophetic eyes and they'll see beyond that veil and they'll say, this is the spirit you're dealing with. This is what that spirit is doing and you need to deal with this and you need to do it this way and they'll expose it. But see, Satan loses his power whenever he's exposed. And the enemy wants so desperately to stay hidden, that word occult, hidden, that they're behind some kind of a veil that they remain hidden. And one of those spirits that does this big time is a Jezebel spirit. I'm telling you, it is hard for a lot of people to discern a Jezebel spirit because it wants to remain hidden. And another thing that many times people don't discern, they don't understand what's going on, but they may be targeted through the dark arts coming against them, and, and they don't understand what's oppressive, what's going on, but in the spirit realm, something's targeting them. They need to get that veil of, of the enemy trying to hide, clear that out, get revelation, and begin to attack what the enemy's doing and bind him, okay? All right, so that's another thing the enemy tries to do. Whether it's, you, can, you could say, like a, a mind control or some kind of a, a caging of the mind or some kind of a confusion, the enemy wants to blind people and hide what he's doing remember that and as we pray and as we fast god will expose these tactics all right the next veil i want to deal with and this one's pretty basic is the sin in our lives most christians have never by and large out there they come to church they accept christ as their savior and then they just go to church but most of them have never truly humbled themselves before god and really spent time in prayer and asked God to show them the sin and the unforgiveness and the things in their lives that's not right and really spent time letting God cleanse them and really repent and get things right before God. I would venture to say most, the overwhelming majority of Christians out there have never done that. And so therefore there's a veil 
of their own sin and their own unforgiveness or the stuff in their lives that's not right with God, where their lives are not lining up with the... For example, they may be somebody that's a gossip. They may be somebody that harbors grudges against others. You see what I'm saying? They, they have things in their lives that if they would just pray and fast and seek God, God would show them. And as they really repented, that veil would be removed easy. But they never deal with it. And so there's a veil. And the Bible says in Isaiah 59 verse 2, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. But Jesus paid when he died on the cross for that veil to be ripped. Jesus' body was lacerated. It was ripped open. And consequently, when he died, the veil in the temple was ripped open. God is wanting us that these veils that have been separating us from him to be ripped apart so that we can come into a deeper place. Just like I shared earlier, I went through this whole thing. God was giving me this, and I was documenting, I was praying about all of it. And at the end of it, I started remembering what I shared with you guys. I read that book, and you have two by Rick Joyner called The Final Quest. But he went through in a vision through the judgment seat of Christ, and he was so convicted. God was dealing with him about this thing in his life and this. And as he repented or whatever, and God kept doing this process, he said he looked up, and the Lord, who had seemed glorious before, now seems so much more glorious, such a bright shining. And, and, and he said he thought God had changed, but then he realized it wasn't God that changed. It was me that changed that all these veils that were there were removed so i could see the lord more clearly for who he really is and i could draw closer to him so are there veils of unforgiveness are there are there veils of being rebellious against leaders in the church i've seen so much of this in the church world and people have to know it's wrong is there veils of sowing division among other Christians, going from one Christian to the next and running this one down to this one, then this one down to this one, and causing division. God hates that. Is there lust or sexual sins in your life? That's a big veil. Is there a veil of greed or the love of money? Is there a veil of pride in Leviathan? That's a big veil. Is there a veil of a Jezebel spirit? You know the sad thing about Jezebel spirit? The Bible says, I gave her space to repent. She would not. I've seen some people have issues with that spirit. And I've seen one or two people really repent and change. I've seen it. How I many knows Jesus, what he did on the cross is sufficient? All right. I've seen a couple people change. But where I've seen one change, I've seen ten that will never, I mean, they act like they'll never change. It doesn't matter what you say to them. They get more prideful, more rebellious, more controlling, and they get worse. And you keep talking to them. It just, so anyway, it's sad. But it's a veil until they humble themselves and repent it's a veil that is separating them from God. Also, the religious spirit, which I talked about. And here's the last two. Number eight and nine I want to deal with. The eighth veil is in Genesis 3-7. You remember when Adam and Eve sinned? And the Bible says that they went and hid from God. We know the deeper aspect to this story that I've shared this enough preaching that I think all of you are familiar with it, but... They obviously had some kind of a wrapping of the light of God, the glory in their life. Even though they were physically naked, they had the glory. And when they sinned, all of sin falls short, the glory, the glory lifted. And they realized that they were without that glory. They were, and many of you have felt here, you felt like a, a weight of God's presence. Okay, that weight lifted. And that shining was gone. And they realized that they were naked and they were shamed. And they, they went and hid from God and they sowed fig leaves. And that those fig leaves figuratively are like a veil. 
And so God comes down and he says, where are you? Do you see what I'm saying? There's sin. But here's the thing. Here's what I want to deal with. The sin or the, the issue, not necessarily the sin, but the issue of shame. This is a big issue. A lot of people have a veil in their life that's keeping them from God and also even keeping them from others in the body of Christ. And it's a veil of shame. I believe it's real, not figurative. I believe people have some kind of a veil of shame. And the Bible says something interesting in, in James 5.16. Well, let me back up. You know, you think about Adam and Eve, you think, well, they sinned and they had had such a close walk with God. I know they were scared. But you would think after walking with God for so long that Adam would at least go toward the Lord and ask his forgiveness and say, help me. You see what I'm saying? What kept Adam in hiding? I know it was fear, but what else? Shame. See, shame separates us from God and separates us from other people too. And the Bible says something interesting in James 5, 16. It says, therefore, confess your sins one to another. How many people really thought about this scripture? We all talk about confess your sins to God. That's extremely important. But how many have ever thought about that there is a place of confessing your sins to someone else in the body and it removes the shame? And it says, pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, don't get me wrong. You need to be extremely wise about who you share things with. Okay, don't go around telling anybody, just anybody, your personal stuff. But you do need to have somebody you can go to. One of the things I've noticed about that deliverance questionnaire is people that have been brutally honest and some have not. And therefore, they still have areas that are not free. Okay, I pray, I'm talking about not River of Life. I pray with a lot of people. And some people don't tell everything, and, and Sandy will tell you, and, they, and they, they don't get free in that area. But some people have come to me. And they've been brutally honest. They're desperate. And I mean, every deep, dark thing they've ever done, you know. And of course, that's confidential between me and Sandy, and it, it won't go any further. never has, never will. But they come to us, and they share these things because they want help. And I've seen that they're ashamed. But as we look at them, we'll love and say, it's all right. We're going to pray about it. God's going to forget. I've seen how the shame will be lifted off them. And how that they're, they're free from that. And it's, it's not, they haven't even confessed their sins to God yet, but as they've confessed their sin to another person. The Bible says, confess your sins one to another, pray for one another that you may be healed. So there's something there where you need to use a lot of wisdom who you go to. But there is something there where if you'll confess your sin to another and have them pray with you, that that shame will lift. And you'll realize, you know, God loves you and that you're forgiven. And there's a healing in all of that. Or the, ne- the last one I want to deal with is a veil of fear. In 1 John 4.18, the Bible says, fear has torment. How many believe that? And 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Fear there can be um, translated intimidation. But God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind or a disciplined mind. And fear has such a torment in people's lives. And here's how fear will work. Fear causes there to be a veil between you and God, but it also causes a veil between you and people. Because when you love people, you'll go toward them. But when you live a life of fear, you tend to push back away from people. Fear will also be, and this is very important that you hear me, 
Fear is something that is like the tip of a spear that the devil many times will use fear first to try to penetrate to get through to someone's life. It'll be through that door of fear that something comes through and then they deal with several different issues, but it came through fear. And so it's like a spear that goes first and pokes a hole in the protection. If the person would put up their shield of faith and refuse to get in fear and rebuke the enemy, it wouldn't be able to get through to them. But many times, people have been through stuff in life where they were vulnerable. Maybe they were a little child that was molested. Maybe they were a woman that was raped. Maybe they were somebody that served time in the military and they went off to war and they were in extremely fearful conditions. Do you see what I'm saying? And it's like a vulnerable time where they, they really couldn't be strong. It was, it was scary. It was traumatic. And it's in those traumatic times that the enemy, it's like the tip of a spear pierced through and other things came into their life. And now they're still dealing with that. But God is wanting to remove the fear and he's wanting to heal the wounds and the trauma of the past. Amen. And so these are veils I believe God's wanting to remove out of River of Life. And I want people to really think about this tonight. I'll give people a chance to pray, but I want you to take this home. Because let me read this last thing here. But as we pray and we're in a season of fasting, I believe God's going to give you victory. How many of you guys want, if there's veils in your life, how many of you guys agree with me and say, I want those veils removed because I want to go deeper in God. I want to see the Lord in a way I haven't before. I want to grow spiritually. I'm going to go deeper in Him. But see, these veils are trying to hinder people. So here's, here's what I want to read at the end here. We need to pierce through these veils. We need to see an open heaven over our heads the enemy bound, and we need to begin to press through into the Holy of Holies. What was separating us from the Holy of Holies at one time? It would have been the veil. But Jesus ripped the veil. And so God's wanting us to go deep into his glory and to be able to see him and commune with him, but he's got to remove the veils in our lives that is separating us from him. So remember that Hebrew word I shared at the beginning, masikah, it, it means a veil, but it also is an idol. That God's wanting us to deal with all these things. So with all of that in mind, read with me 2 Corinthians 3.12. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech um, and are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away, but their minds were hardened. For until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But whoever, whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we with unveiled faces behold as, a mirror, as in a mirror the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as the Lord, the Spirit. So in other words, let me paraphrase this. The Holy Spirit will come in. And as we pray and fast, the Holy Spirit will say, hey, there's a veil there. And you say, Lord, forgive me for what allowed that. Take it out. The veil is removed. And we go to from glory now to another level of glory. We see the Lord more clearly. Then we say, Holy Spirit, help us. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. The Holy Spirit says, there's a veil there. We say, Lord, forgive me. Take this out. And we really repent and make it right. 
All of a sudden, the veil's removed, and we go from this level of glory to another level of glory. And we see the Lord more clearly, and our our relationship with him deepens. You see what I'm saying? We, with unveiled faces, go from glory to glory. That's how you get there. As God removes a veil, we go deeper in the glory. As he removes another veil, we go deeper in the glory. So how do we get the veils removed? We need to have a deep, heartfelt repentance in our lives. This is where we get brutally honest with God. How many would say, Pastor Scott, listen, I understand that, that I'm not perfect. I'm, I'm not perfect up here. None of us are. So why don't we just get brutally honest with God? Instead of being like Adam and running and hiding and trying to cover up things, why don't we go to the Lord and say, Lord, help me? He's the best friend you'll ever have. If we come to him and say, Lord, forgive me for these things. Help me. Lord, baptize me in your Holy Spirit and your fire and get these veils out of the way because I want to know you. I want to know your ways. I want to see you. I want to have fellowship with you. But these veils are in the way. He'll help you. But it's deep, heartfelt repentance. What brought the veil in the first place in our lives? And we say, Lord, forgive us. The second thing is persistent prayer and intercession, which this church does. That persistent prayer, that intercession will pierce through veils. Fasting. The reason why I felt the Lord wanted me to preach on this, because fasting, here we are in a season of fasting. Fasting will help remove the veils. Because fasting helps us see things we haven't seen before. Our eyes are open. And finally, I just add this in here. I really believe the communion table helps us get beyond the veil. There's something about the communion table that's so powerful. Think about it for a minute. When you take of that bread and the fruit of the vine, it doesn't necessarily, I realize in a spiritual sense, it goes into your spirit spiritually. And I realize it affects your soul. I understand that. But it really goes into your body, doesn't it? And you know what, Jesus, that veil that separates us so many times is our own flesh. But there's something about the communion table where what represents his body and blood goes into our body and blood, the two becoming one. There's something about that that helps rip the veil to where we can go in and meet with him. It's just, it's supernatural. I don't understand it, but I do know it's there and it's powerful. So I preach my heart out tonight. I've been doing a little bit of fasting with you guys. So, uh. I felt the, I needed the Holy Spirit's energy. <laughs> He's helped me. But anyway, we're going to pray for people tonight. But I want us to spend some time, like I said earlier, write things down, take this home, pray about this over this next couple of weeks as we fast and pray together. Let's believe God that veils are going to be removed. I believe corporately many, many veils have already been removed in this region, etc. But God is going to continue to remove corporate veils. But he also wants to remove individual veils. Many times it's the veils that, that are causing things to be stubborn. I know another veil, and this would probably fall under the category of the blinding of the mind of unbelievers, but it's unbelief. Some people really have a veil there where they don't really believe God. They have a lot of doubt, fear, and unbelief about the God answering their prayers and things like that. But God's no respecter of persons. The Bible says he's not. If he healed that person over there, that same healing is for everybody. If he delivered that person, the same deliverance for everybody. He does not have favorites. He loves everybody, and Jesus paid for it for everybody. So we need to just believe God. In any doubt for an unbelief, ask God to forgive us. Get that junk out. Let's believe him. 
for everything that he paid for us to have at the cross. All right, so I'm going to close this out with prayer. And here in a moment, Brother Zach, you can play that CD4. And I want us to make where we're at just an altar. And I want us to really pray about these veils. But, Lord, I pray with everyone here, forgive us or the areas where these things have come in. A veil came in because of either our sin or unforgiveness, or it could have been the sin of another that affected us, and we choose to forgive those people. But, Lord, we ask your forgiveness, though, for the areas in our lives where these veils have come, the things that we've done. But forgive us, Lord, and I pray tonight as people are going to be praying about these things, they're going to be confessing their sin, and they're really going to be praying that every veil be removed. I'm asking you that the veils clear out so that people's lives can line up with the promises of God like never before. Divine health will come forth. Prosperity will break forth. Inner healing will break forth. A deliverance of things break forth. People will experience a personal revival like they've never known. They've seen other people, but they want it for themselves. Lord, I pray these veils will be removed so people can go deep in the glory and experience you in an awesome way. Lord, let it come. We pray in Jesus' mighty name.